Welcome to the Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey. How will big data, blockchain, and artificial intelligence transform your organization? Today, we'll talk about the key factors of digital transformation, together with the CEO and founder of Dataflock, Dr. Mark Van Richmanham. And now, relax and enjoy. Welcome back to our show. This is Mark Siles talking today from our studio in Helsinki. We can read in the book The Organization of Tomorrow that we live in exponential times. We are experiencing a paradigm shift where businesses and technology change and grow at an exponential rate, causing profound social and economic change. The fast-changing, uncertain and ambiguous environments that organizations operate in today require them to rethink their internal business processes and customer touchpoints. The last time such a rapid change happened was the advent of the Internet. The Internet caused organizations to completely rethink their business and enable the success of organizations that embrace the new paradigm, including Amazon, Google, Facebook and WeChat, to become monopolists within a record time. Now, we are experiencing another change due to emerging information technologies such as big data analytics, blockchain and artificial intelligence, and trends like the Internet of Things. These technologies make it easier for startups to compete with existing organizations. As a result, and of the lack of legacy systems, these startups are more flexible and agile than Fortune 1000 companies. Within a short time frame, startups can become a significant threat if not paid due regard. Therefore, only paying attention to the day-to-day -day operation is simply no longer enough. Organizations have to become innovative and adaptive to change if they wish to remain relevant and competitive. We have today on the phone from Holland, Dr. Mark van Rijmenam, the founder and CEO of Dataflock and a strategic advisor to several blockchain startups. Dataflock offers C-level executive information, insights, knowledge, and opportunities to drive innovation with data. Mark holds a PhD in management from the University of Technology in Sydney. He also is a faculty member of the Blockchain Research Institute in Toronto, Canada. Mark actively writes on emerging information technologies and how these are changing organizations. He's named a global top 10 big data influencer and one of the most influential blockchain people. He is the author of the book Think Bigger, Developing a Successful Big Data Strategy for Your Business, Blockchain, Transforming Your Business and Our World, and the recently published The Organization of Tomorrow, How Artificial Intelligence, Blockchain and Analytics Turn Your Business into a Data Organization. According to Mark, we live in an exponential times, and simply having a digital strategy focused on continuous innovation is no longer enough to thrive in a constantly changing world. In order to transform an organization and contribute to building a secure and rewarding network society, collaboration among employees, customer, business units, and even things is increasingly becoming key. Big data analytics, blockchain, and artificial intelligence force us to rethink existing business models and develop organizations that will be ready for human-machine interactions. Organizations now, more than ever before, need to focus on bringing together the different stakeholders to create the future. 
Mark, welcome to our show. Thank you very much, Mark, for having me, and it's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you with us. And before we start the interview, and to make sure that we all follow up on the main topic, because we have heard a lot about it, but I'm not sure that most of us can fully understand what it means. Can you tell us what is big data, blockchain and artificial intelligence, and why should companies pay attention to them? Well, that's a very good question to start with, Mark, because um, uh, these are technologies uh, that are changing organizations and whenever i speak to organizations um, these are the the first question they ask me you know what are these technologies and and why should we care uh, nowadays organizations uh, consumers but also things we create so much data that we can use the data uh, to, for insights and those insights enable us to um, get a better understanding of the wider context of the organization uh, and once you do that you will be able to make better decisions and consequently and we, we can talk about that more later mm -hmm. um, it will also drive uh, empowerment among amongst your employers and uh, employees and your, your customers um, so big data is really uh, sort of the driving force of tomorrow's organization um, then if we look at blockchain uh, blockchain is a decentralized database and the easy way to explain it what i normally do is instead of a, a standard database which is read write and edit a blockchain is read and write and it is shared among the different stakeholders who have access to the blockchain whether this is a million people if it's public the blockchain or um, a dozen uh, companies if it's a, it's a private blockchain but the main idea is that it's read and write but you cannot edit the data and that offers all kinds of new opportunities because you get a single source of the truth of, of your data and then of course artificial intelligence is um, where we use we basically train machines um, to do things on behalf of us the way i always uh, like to explain it there are like three uh, different domains for ai uh, where they come together and so you have on the one hand you have the cognitive systems which deal with the human world uh, these are for example um, chatbots um, that you can use in your call center um, and then you have the, the the physical world where we have robotics um, and they can uh, directly interact with, with humans for example um, an exoskeleton which is being used in a factory um, and then you have the third domain, which is machine learning, which deals with the information world. Uh, and we use data to, to train the machines uh, to learn new tasks. And artificial intelligence uh, can be seen as a seamless integration of all these three domains. So the cognitive systems, the robotics and machine learning. What I see is that these three technologies, they are fundamentally changing how we run our organizations. And that's why organizations should pay attention to it. Because if incumbents don't do it, startups will do because they have this technology first approach um, and and you'll lose business so you have to pay attention whether you want it or not very good reason to focus yeah. on this on these dimensions as well as you mentioned in your book emerging information technologies are changing organizations it's not that they will be changing them but they are already changing them today exactly how these technologies change an organization depends not only on the technology but also on the social actions of the people responding to that technology as humans interact with technology in different contexts it changes their behavior and accordingly their behavior of the organizations consequently you mentioned in your book that organizational change requires breaking down all habits and values while at the same time altering high impact systems such as decision making capabilities and governance practices does that mean that one of the biggest challenges organizations are facing is actually how to build a totally new corporate culture? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the main challenge um, here is not the technology. Yeah, technology can be developed and it's the 
easy part, right? The difficult part is the culture. Mm-hmm. You want to change your organization. And uh, what I always ex- explain to organizations is that what they need to achieve is is, is this gestalt shift, um, um, uh, which basically means you, you need to look at your organization from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And there's this famous image um, where you see a, a rabbit versus um, a duck, and you can't see um, uh, them both at the same time. It's either or. And um, that's basically what, what organizations need to achieve as well. They need to look at their organization from a different perspective. And that requires change their culture in first and foremost. Because if you don't change your culture, you can't change looking at your company from a different perspective. So yes, culture is, is the main driver and also the main challenge here that organizations face. Which other ways do you think that technology is changing companies? Well, I think a, a great example is that if you start using big data analytics, uh, you, you start to use real-time insights. So you, you combine data from various sources, internal and external sources, mm-hmm. to know what's going on either with your customers or in your factory or, or whatsoever. In the past, what happened is that we used to make decisions based on um, seniority and, and experience. You know, C-level executives who have been in the role for 10 years, and they know, well, I've always been doing this. I know what's right, so you can trust me on <laughs> this decision. Um, exactly. And and in, in, in addition, they used to get reports maybe once a month, uh, maybe if they were lucky, once a week. Um, nowadays, first, everyone with insights is a decision maker. Um, so everyone who has access to the analytics from the data is the one who makes decisions. And ideally, the, the true decision makers are those facing the customer. Uh, so they need to have this information. That's the one thing. But mm-hmm. the other thing that changes is that uh, we need to move from a weekly decision-making uh, scheme to a real-time decision-making scheme. So if you get insights in real-time, you need to act upon it in real-time. Um, and that, of course, changes also the way the whole dynamics of running your business. Two examples of how it changes your business. If you look at, uh, for example, a blockchain, mm-hmm. um, it off- offers you the possibility to collaborate with your industry partners, but also mm-hmm. to collaborate with your competitor. If you would explain to an organization that you should share your data with your competitor, they will say you're insane. Um, but it, it does have advantages if you look at it from a, from a different perspective. Which would be that perspective? If you have to convince somebody to share part of their data with the, uh, with the competition, which benefits would you argue that they would have with that approach? Well, of course, it very much depends on what kind of business you are in. Uh, but it basically means that if you can share data with your um, uh, industry partners, it offers you the op- the possibility to to make better services, to reduce the, to make your supply chain more efficient and more effective. Um, uh, you know, of course, all within the, the legal boundaries of not for having cartel forming whatsoever. Exactly. Uh, it does give you the possibility to create a more seamless supply chain or to have additional insights, um, which you wouldn't have before, which would benefit the end consumer. Um, so I think from that perspective, does have a lot of advantages for companies to to look around their their uh, into their environment and see which which companies can we actually collaborate uh, and in what way. So if I hear you right, uh, incorporating the agile thinking, how companies and employees adapt towards fast changes uh, with this experimental way of learning. Uh, you were mentioning before the startup environment, so that type of mindset, those elements are key to be able to also create that culture and those habits that allow companies to absorb the best and take the best out of uh, artificial intelligence, blockchain, digital transformation dimensions we have been mentioning until now. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, and especially because uh, the world is changing so fast at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's incredible. 
Uh, I think, uh, you know, you and I, we, we can, I think, remember very well when the first mobile phones came into existence and we started using them. And, uh, you know, uh, this morning I read in, in, in the Dutch Financial Times, you know, there's a new computer chip, which is 10 times better than the existing computer chips. Um, and it does um, um, a million billion transactions per second. That's just, you know, insane. <laughs> and uh, things, uh, technology is changing so rapidly at the moment. And if you are not able to, to deal with that and to, uh, to adapt to it, uh, then you have a problem. So you need this, uh, this agile approach to it. We have heard a lot of benefits and advantages on embracing these new technologies, this new approach and these new opportunities that we are having in front of us. And at the same time, we are seeing that it's not that simple. It's not that easy for companies to face a transformation. Which ones would you say that are the main barriers companies are facing towards this change? Well, I think the main barriers to change is still, of course, technology, yeah, because the technology, although it's relatively easy to develop, um, it still needs to be developed. Yeah, if we look at, for example, the blockchain ecosystem, um, it consists of, of many different uh, aspects, and many of them still need to be developed. We don't have a fully-fledged decentralized ecosystem yet. Uh, uh, the second one is, is skills. You, know, you need, as an organization, you need to have the skills in your business uh, to actually do something with this. Uh, many organizations had to move uh, already from uh, having uh, a traditional developers to becoming more analysts and data scientists, uh, but they also need to move now to more uh, having machine learning capability within your within your organization. So they need to develop these skills, whether they hire them, uh, whether they um, um, as, as employees or as a, a, a external advisors, or whether they train their own staff, but they need to obtain the skills to be able to deal with these technologies. And then um, the third and foremost is, of course, the culture, as, as mentioned already. Mm -hmm. um, you, you need to have this innovative culture where you allow your, your employees to experiment and to, and to work with new technologies. And how I always like to compare it, to, for example, with AI, I like to compare AI with Lego, eh? because Lego, which is, I think, is one of the most fascinating toys there is in, in the world. You know, I, I used to play with it a lot when I was a kid, and um, I think it's absolutely fascinating how they created that this toy. But there's something really fascinating about it, in, and and that is that every Lego block that has ever been created is compatible with every Lego block that will ever be created. Mm. Um, and they have a, a fault tolerance of, a, I think, a couple of nanometers. It's it's, it's almost nothing. Um, and what you build is only up to your creativity and to the various blocks that you have. And so your creativity and the money that you have to buy the different blocks, that's the only thing that limits what you can build with it. And um, I think the same applies to, um, to organizations uh, with AI. You, know, you want to AI to be constructed from very, very narrow domains and work, be able to work together with, with each other. And it's only up to you as, as, a, as a company and, and the money that you have, um, how far you can go with, this, uh, with, this, with AI. To continue the metaphor, um, uh, the, the uh, Lego company, they built a Bugatti Chiron uh, a year ago out of Lego, which actually drives. And it's completely made of <laughs> made of Lego, and it drives, I think, about 25 miles an hour compared, to, of course, to 400 kilometers an hour that the, the real one does. But it, this one is built completely out of Lego. Wow! I think that that is sort of the metaphor that, that organizations should have. You know, if you um, you have the creativity, you have the money, you have the skills, um, uh, then you can basically do everything that you want. And that's the challenge that organizations need to. Yeah, this this is what they need to embed within their within their culture. Creativity being the only limiting factor of your potential. I love that takeaway. 
When reading your book, The Organization of Tomorrow, I got the impression that what you're presenting is that the whole topic we are discussing is not just about running a project. It's not running something that will start today and finish in six to 12 months when the implementation of the tool or the digital strategy is done. So we're talking about something else, something that doesn't finish, something that is part of the permanent vision and strategy of the company. How digital transformation can be part of the business strategy together with innovation, process improvements and other things that companies have to focus on? Well, I think if you want to successfully um, digitally transform your business, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning of our talk, you need to have this different perspective. You need to look at your organization, um, not from a, a standard product company, uh, but you need to look at your organization from a data company. Um, and, uh, and the example that I uh, always give is that, for example, you can be a car company. And in the traditional world, a car company, is a product company. What they do, they make cars and they sell those cars. Um, however, if you have a different perspective and you look at it from a, a data perspective, you can say, well, this company is in the business of moving people from A to B um, and they happen to make cars. But they could also make an autonomous drone. Uh, they can make an Uber-like app. Uh, they can make whatever you can think of. So they can really uh, create something uh, in a different way that still um, helps them achieve uh, their vision. And um, uh, to give you an example of a company that is, has been able to, to actually do this, um, to make this transition, uh, is a, a German, very traditional German company called Kieser's Compressors. And Kieser's um, Compressors is about 100, 100 years old, and they built these massive uh, air conditioning machines for very, very large companies and factories. Um, and what they used to do, they would sell these products for a lot of money, um, and they uh, would, with that, sell a maintenance contract. And if the thing would break down, um, a, a, a guy would, or a person or a woman would come over and uh, would fix whatever was broken. Um, and the owner of the machine would have to pay for it. Very traditional way of doing your, your business. But they, they decided that, well, the world is changing and we need to change our business model as well. They changed into a way where now they are actually selling air and making a lot of money out of it um, uh, because they sell air as a service. So they have this same machine, which they now install for free. Um, they use big data analytics to understand what's going on with the machine. Um, they use predictive maintenance to um, fix the machine before it breaks down. But it never breaks down for the customer. Hmm. Um, and, and the customer only pays for the actual air that has been consumed. So they sell air as a service and they make a lot of money out of it. It's a completely different way of thinking. Um, uh, so this massive expensive machine is being installed for free and you just pay for what you use. That's the change that organizations need to go through. And uh, once you have that different perspective, then everything follows. Um, and then having this digital transformation becomes uh, naturally embedded within your culture uh, because then everyone understands why you do what you do. And that's what organizations need to achieve. And that, but that is a challenge. I see there a great example on how important it is to challenge our own perspectives of how traditional business is taken place of and how a new approach could be implemented to create this competitive advantage as well. What you were mentioning now, it is very hard to replicate by the competition, for example. In one of your chapters of your book, you say that the existing internet has degraded trust among individuals and organizations. The centralized web and the possibility to remain anonymous but unaccountable has resulted in a suit of negative behaviors. What would happen if trust were to be absent in this ecosystem we are describing? What happens if trust is absent, um, we sort of start to see in real life already. 
um, and which is a real shame. Yeah, you know, if we look at the web, and um, I'm, I'm personally very much attached to this because I'm building a company to sort of try to restore trust on the web. I think it's extremely problematic that um, it's become has become so difficult to trust someone on the web, um, uh, and whether this someone is an individual an organization or even a, a thing we've come into a world where we cannot lo- we can no longer trust the information that we read the videos that we see the content that we consume um, and, and that is extremely problematic in my opinion to democracy to our society as a whole to how uh, individuals uh, collaborate with each other um, and if we look at um, China, uh, where they have this social credit score now, um, and um, and there's a lot of a lot of attention in the media about the social credit score, which to such an extreme that if you take a, a package of, of diapers from the supermarket shelves, that you get bonus points, and beer, you get you get negative points. It's not it doesn't go that far, uh, but what it does do, it, it it does give people a score which allows other people to trust them. Why is this necessary? Because in China. There, there has to be a sort of a, there is this, this history of people not trusting each other because everyone tries to almost screw each other over all the time, uh, whether it's, it's it's copying, pasting, or whether it's, and this score, I and mean, if you talk to uh, Chinese citizens, they also say, well, well, it sort of at least helps us that we can trust the other per- person again, because we know that, that if you do something wrong, it has a negative effect. Of course, in, in the Western world, um, I would not want to have such a system where we also lose our privacy. I think it's extremely important that we have our privacy and that we should be able to, to be anonymous. And that's also so what we, we are trying to do with the company that I'm, I'm building, which is called Imagine, um, is we're trying to build, to bring this trust, to bring reputation to the online world, uh, which would allow people to remain anonymous, but also remain accountable for what they do. Um, and I think this is absolutely key uh, for our online world, for our society, that we restore a level of trust that I can trust someone, an organization or a thing, uh, without knowing that person, organization or thing. Um, and we've lost that. And, um, and that's, a, that's a real shame. After what you are mentioning, it came to my mind, that what's the role of analytics then within this new digital environment? Well, I, I think an- analytics helps you to um, have this broader understanding, this broader context of what is going on. What we are trying to do, and, and we are launching our minimum viable product in the next week or two, um, is that we, with this MVP, we allow people to rate articles based on uh, quality, fake news probability, and plagiarism probability. Hmm. And um, that gives an article a quality score, and that gives an author a reputation, and that gives the platform where it is published also a reputation. What you want to achieve is that you want to use analytics, and in, the, in our MVP, we won't have that, but later on, we will, we will have that. What you want to do is we use analytics to, uh, if you rate an article on, on coaching or, or, or training or soft skills, your uh, score will be have a higher, a stronger weight or a higher weight than mine, because I am not knowledgeable about coaching and, and soft skills, and you are. So your score will be more important than my score. However, if I rate an article on blockchain, then my score will have more weight than your score, for example. And that's how you can sort of start to recognize that someone has a certain knowledge about something and that influences the rating. And that's exactly what happens in the real life. eh? Um, If if I recommend um, a certain tool, blockchain tool to a company, they trust my judgment. Um, If you would do that, they would like, "Mm, what do you know about blockchain? Yeah. And that is not available anymore in in the online world. And I think you can use analytics to uncover those patterns and those insights, and then you can use them uh, to restore this trust. Let's take a look for a second to the other side of the coin. 
uh, is there any downside to the presence of data? Yes, of course. Uh, in, in, my, in my one of my recent articles, I wrote that the data organization comes with great opportunities, but also comes with great uh, responsibility. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the areas that I discussed is the uh, area of biased algorithms. You know, biased algorithms are a serious problem in our society. And, uh, but biased algorithms are trained with biased data and built by biased humans. So that is the, the challenge. And as an organization, you need to very much be aware of what that would do to your uh, organization and what the effect would be of having a biased algorithm in, in your business. That's, uh, I think, something that we really should pay attention to. The second area where organizations, where this responsibility comes into play is, is security. Yeah, we've seen so many data breaches in the past years, and they will only become bigger. And the more connected devices we'll have, the more data breaches we'll have, because still people and organizations don't take security serious enough. That's one thing. But if you look a bit further ahead, if you look at uh, the era of quantum computing, which would break all existing encryption, um, that's a massive problem as well. Um, um, yeah, I think the uh, the Y2K bug in, in 1999 was about, I think, $100 billion or so to fix. Um, and this will be a, a tenfold or even more of it to fix this. That's also a downside of, of a data organization. And finally, I think the, the downside is around privacy. If we cannot ensure the privacy of our consumers, of our citizens, what we have seen happening with Facebook now, with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, um, that's also a serious threat to our democracy. So we have to make sure that consumers have control over their own privacy over their own data. Uh, this is called a self-sovereign identity, and this is being developed, but this technology is very nascent, and, it, and it, it takes time before we are there. But I think in the end, a consumer should have control over their own identity, and yeah? define it by, by five Ps. You know, that means they are personal. So it's all about you as the individual, or you as the, the machine or the organization. Because what it applies for individuals also applies for machines and also applies for organizations. Um, it's portable. It means you can take your identity and data from one platform to another platform. It's private. It means you control your identity and your data and not someone else. Four, it's persistent, which means it doesn't change without your consent, which is also not always the case. You know? um, and finally, five, it's protected. So your identity cannot be stolen. Identity theft is a serious problem in the world, um, and um, uh, you don't want that to happen. So I think the the responsibility of organizations in a data-driven world is around uh, biased algorithms to ensure that they're not biased, is around security to ensure that data is not, cannot be hacked, cannot be stolen. And if it is hacked, because my opinion is that every organization can and will be hacked. And if it is hacked, it it can't be used because it's properly encrypted. Third one is to ensure the privacy of customers and citizens by moving towards a self-sovereign identity. One thing about what you just mentioned, about how responsibilities and opportunities are taken on board by organizations, how will leadership practices and company cultures actually be impacted by this responsibility? I think the leadership uh, of an organization should be, of course, in the lead in this, and they should take this serious enough to uh, discuss it on, on board level. You know, we, there should be a, a chief security officer um, who is sole task is to ensure the security of the data uh, within the organization. Especially if every organization is a data organization where everything that you do uh, revolves around data. If that's being stolen, your company is, is, is bankrupt. You know, already a few years ago uh, in the Netherlands, uh, there was a company called DigiNotar, which is a commercial certificate authority. Um, they were de- declared bankrupt after being hacked. So not taking it serious, that's, that's a serious problem for you as a business. And so you should take it serious by having 
it discussed in the boardroom of how to deal with security, how to deal with, with bias, how to ensure the privacy of your customers. Um, if you don't discuss this at board level, um, then how can you expect the rest of your employees to follow suit? So there's a real task for the leadership within the company to take this serious and to discuss this in the boardroom and to make sure that privacy becomes embedded in your DNA, that you, you take security serious and that you try to uh, avoid bias as much as possible. Smart only matters when you do something with it. Chris Hatfield. We have been talking as well about artificial intelligence. When we think about the 360 potential impact that this could have, and we focus as well on the customer interactions, how can actually artificial intelligence change the way customer interactions are taking place? I think the way artificial intelligence can, can change customer interactions um, is that it can help to offer truly personalized services, to truly personalized products, um, so that you are able to offer the right product for the right price to the right channel to the right customer at the right moment. However, um, in today's world, that is relatively easy because you can create this 360 degrees customer profile. Right? You collect and gather as much data as you want, as you can about your customer, you analyze it and you do something with it. My vision is that in the future where customers own their own data, you need to have a different approach. If we have a world where um, you as a customer, you own the data, I want to give this data away to this marketing agency, but you have to pay for it. Uh, or I give, this, give away this data to a foundation because I believe in their what they're doing and you can, ha you can have my data to help you in your cause. The, the empowerment will be with the, with the customer who says what he or she wants to do with the data. Um, and if, if, of course, if you have uh, a million customers with a million data vaults, so to say, um, uh, you need AI also uh, to use that and to offer, still be able to offer this the right product for the right moment at the right price at the price. So I think AI can really have, help improve your products um, and, and with that also create a better product more suitable for your different customers. And I truly believe that if you uh, build a product or a service that is focused, that is customer friendly, and if you take care of your customers, the customers will take care of your shareholders. So, uh, you know, forget this shareholder first approach, have a customer first approach, and then the shareholders will be happy as well. Customers first approach. I like that takeaway, that sentence. And then thinking also about the other customers, the customers we have in-house, the employees. How will artificial intelligence, how do you foresee that it will change workplaces? Uh, that's um, it's an interesting one as well, because I think the future of work will be fundamentally different compared to, um, to today. I recently wrote an article about that, uh, where um, I, I said that well, there are seven ways how uh, AI changes the workplace. It's in finding, hiring, and retaining talent. You know, we already see companies using facial recognition to do the first screening of talent, uh, also to prevent the bias. Yeah? Because often if you read a resume, uh, by the fact that you see a certain name or you see a certain picture, can already trigger a yes or no unconsciously. And they use, uh, for example, Unilever, uh, but also Singapore Airlines and Vodafone, they use facial recognition to replace recruiters in the first rounds. And they see that they hire more in a more diverse way. What you also see is that I think uh, it becomes easier for staff to collaborate with each other because they can find each other better. And if you know which staff member is knowledgeable about a certain topic and that information is easily accessible, um, uh, and if you are then a salesperson uh, in Germany selling a product, but a colleague in Asia had a similar experience, and then you can learn from each other. 
So uh, I, th- I think if you take this further, you can move to having more intelligent uh, remote working where we use augmented reality to help engineers in a factory, for example. Um, you can optimize your workplace. Uh, we have in, in Holland here, we have the smartest building, which was opened a few years, uh, which is called the Edge, um, where the building knows exactly who is in, what, what are the preferences of, of the employees, uh, how do you like your coffee, how do you like your lighting, how do you like your air temperature, uh, et cetera. It's interesting to see what happened with that building is that there's also a downside because the employees, they felt that they were no longer in control over their own, own workplace and they were not satisfied with that. Very interesting to see that, that yes, you can create a super intelligent building, but you still need to take into account your employees as well. So I think you know, the AI will fundamentally change the workplace, will have a, a massive impact on the future of work. Uh, but I do think, you know, yes, AI will replace many jobs, but I think um, it's more about uh, augmentation, where humans and machines work together for uh, a common goal. Example that surprised me, and I guess that it also surprised to most of our listeners, is the one you said about Unilever, where facial recognition is used to assess the first uh, round of candidates. How can facial recognition let us know about uh, or tell us about our capabilities or potential performance? I don't know how the inner workings are of the system, of course. Um, uh, they, they use a technology called higher view. It looks at um, how persons, people respond to questions, what they, what they say, but also their facial expressions. Um, so it, it's a combination of your facial expression, but also what you say and how you respond to certain tasks. You know, AI has already been used in assessments um, where um, it's not so, it doesn't matter really the answer that you give, but more interesting is how you come to an answer. Um, and that, of hmm. course, has also been used in if you apply for a consultancy job, uh, you get these case studies where you need to you know, solve a case study. Uh, and they don't care about the actual answer. They care about how you get to that answer. You see that AI within assessments can be used to detect how do you come to a certain answer, which is way more interesting, which says a lot more about you than the actual answer. And uh, uh, combined with using facial recognition to understand ex- expressions and emotions, um, that can really help to do the first screening of candidates. So instead of having, if you have a thousand candidates, uh, with that you can break it down to 10, for example, and then probably have a different group of 10 candidates than if you would, a human would take a minute to scan a resume um, and make a decision, a brief decision from reading a resume for 10 seconds. Uh, and, and here, no humans are involved. You have, as a, as a candidate, you have a, an hour interaction, and that is, if you search a plethora of information, and insights that's extremely relevant for organization. Before we finish our talk today, could you give some advices, some tips about what can companies do to get educated and ensure they sit on the winning side of the digital transformation? Well, if you want to be on the winning side of digital transformation, of course, you first need to have a good understanding of what this is. You know, what do these technologies mean for you as your business? Uh, uh, yes, big data analytics is sort of, you know, we, we sort of have an understanding of what big data analytics is, but it does mean something different for every type of organization. Um, how can you use blockchain within your particular industry uh, versus the financial industry? Um, how can you use AI? For, how can you use chatbots uh, within your business versus automating your factories? Uh, etc. So you need to have a, a good understanding of what these technologies mean for your business in your industry in your use. Then you need to start small and start experimenting with these technologies. Quite a few of the really successful companies they have full freedom to do whatever they want, separated from the the line of the traditional line of business to 
experiment and, and basically disrupt their own business. And that allows them to come up with new solutions, new approaches uh, that could um, disrupt their own business, but for the, for the good. Because it's better to disrupt, disrupt yourself than a competitor disrupting you. Um, and uh, so you need to, and by doing that, you sort of slowly start to embed uh, an agile culture where you can deal with these technologies in, in a much more seamless and, and efficient way. Um, and by doing that, prepare yourself and your culture for these fast changing times that we live in. Thank you very much, Mark, for your time, for sharing with us your insights and your wisdom. We would like to wish you a lot of luck. We know you don't need luck, but uh, we wish you a lot of success on your new book. And we recommend it to our audience that if you want to be on the leading seat of that digital transformation, make sure you read Mark's book. Thank you very much, Mark. It was uh, great being here and uh, good luck with the rest of the shows. So that was all for today and thank you very much for being a loyal listener. Let us know if there is any topic you would like us to cover down in the space for comments. Have a great rest of the week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our bi-weekly podcast. And remember, this is about spreading and sharing the knowledge. So feel free to forward this audio to anybody you believe could get any benefit out of it. Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey.